This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Plenty to talk about today. I'll have Sarah McClellan on in just a little bit to talk about the Wild, their lack of any moves at the trade deadline, what's coming up for them in the last 16 games of the season as they try to get ready for the playoffs. I'll answer a whole bunch of your questions uh, as well. A lot of good ones from uh, from listeners, from readers, um, you know, to kind of get into a whole bunch of different sports topics. Um, good stuff coming up this week as well. We got the WNBA draft tomorrow. We got the Minnesota United season opener on Friday. So it is a time of year where so much is going on, and it's hard to keep track of it all sometimes. Um, so we'll do our best, though, to, to get to, to get everything accounted for and, and squared away. I'll, I'll even have a, a fun uh, a fun quote at the end from Anthony Edwards of the Wolves, who doesn't apparently know who Alex Rodriguez is. But first, what did I miss? A little different opening segment today. Still trying to figure out, you know, where we are right now with sports. And it just kind of got me thinking about the Timberwolves and, you know, how in the big picture... Tuesday's 127-97 loss to Brooklyn should be maybe one of the least surprising results we will see all year. And not because Brooklyn's a much better team, not because the Wolves are, you know, still one of the bottom feeders in the NBA, but just I just am thinking about everything that has been thrown the Wolves way and and kind of how it's a, you know, almost a microcosm of everything's been thrown everybody's way in the last year. You know, think, think about this NBA season. The draft was November 18th. That was Anthony Edwards chose number one overall November 18th. That was less than five months ago, everybody. Less than five months ago, he was drafted. Free agency was basically like the week after that. And then four weeks later, the season started. The regular season started. So already you're talking about a compressed offseason, this weird kind of throwing together of players, you know, very few holdovers, you know, from, from at least two years ago, let alone six months ago, a season that ended strangely anyway. Then you get injuries right off the bat. Carl Anthony Towns gets COVID, um, so you're still not figuring out what, what your team is all about. You fire your coach. Remember that? Ryan Saunders fired. That was a couple months ago. Chris Finch hired maybe five minutes later. That's another huge major adjustment, huge major change. Team gets sold. I don't know if you guys noticed that. I just mentioned uh, how how Anthony Edwards doesn't know who Alex Rodriguez is, um, but that that ownership thing happens, you know, a few days ago. Tuesday is the one year anniversary of Carl Anthony Towns' mother Jacqueline dying of COVID, so he's not playing. He's you know he's in a different headspace for all the right reasons. He he's not in that game, and so you know throw on top of all of that the Dante Wright police shooting during the Derek Chauvin trial, and I think Josh Okoge had it right. It's, it's just so much. It's one thing after another, one thing after another, one thing after another. So every team is dealing with something in a certain way, not just NBA, not just you know a certain sport, not just the Timberwolves, but it feels like the burden being placed on this team is particularly heavy right now through everything that they've had to go through. So I just want to acknowledge that, I guess, in, in this space and say, you know, yeah, they're right. There, there are things that are more important than basketball right now that are happening, and we're still going to talk about the stuff on the court. They still played Tuesday. Uh, we're not going to ignore the fact that there's still sports going on that we do tend to carry on at a certain point. But let's stop and acknowledge that all of these teams, and bigger picture, everybody right now is dealing with a massive amount of stress and other things going on in their lives. And so 
just take a moment to acknowledge that what happened on the court Tuesday is probably A, not all that important, and B, one of the least surprising results we could have seen based on everything that the Wolves have been asked to carry this season. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined right now by Sarah McClellan, covers the wild for the Star Tribune. A not very eventful trade deadline, Sarah. I think the, I think I read the wild was one of only three teams maybe that didn't make any moves, at least you know up to and around the deadline, but not necessarily a surprise if you kind of had seen what Bill Guerin was saying leading up to this and kind of seeing where they are at. What what was your take on 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 how they ultimately you know arrived at not doing anything um, with, with the with the trade deadline? Yeah, not surprising at all. You know, I think this was obviously the plan. It it certainly was kind of the tone that Bill Guerin had kind of set going into the deadline, and and I think making it clear to to teams that you know if this was a team that was in the playoff position, he was going to keep his lineup and roster intact um, and not trade away any pending unrestricted free agents. And I, I think it just makes a lot of sense for where this team is at in its life cycle. Um, you just look at the reality, too, of, you know, if there wasn't a ton of flexibility financially. It probably would have had to have been, you know, money in, money out, trade somebody for somebody else. Um, you know, it's a, it's a flat salary cap era right now. So, you know, any type of move, obviously, it has future repercussions with you know a lot of players up for new deals this offseason an expansion draft for Seattle so unique factors you know in that regard and also this team as structured is competitive this is a team that right now is in a comfortable playoff position it looks like right now it's kind of locked into that third seed in the west division Uh, the top four teams make the playoffs so what's here what's here right now has been working um and two, I think big picture, you know, and, and, and Bill Guerin acknowledged this. This is a team that right now, like I said, kind of in its life, life cycle, it's not it really in a position to go out and trade away prospects and draft picks, especially high draft picks. This is a team that holds two first rounders um, for this year's draft to, you know, trade those away for players who could be here for a couple months. This was not a team that's was in the market for rentals. And even though the prices, I think, you know, for those types of players this year, probably, you know, trended lower than usual, it still didn't change the plan. And that's that, you know, this was really set up to be a transitional year for the team. You know, um, you look at all the players that are gone, the veterans, the longtime players, the Miko Koivus, the Eric Stahls, the Devin Dubniks, Um, A lot of players came in with one year left on their contracts and it kind of looked like, you know, this was going to be a very um, educational type year and like learning about this team and then seeing, you know, what that big next step is and who's here and who's re-signed. So it just wasn't, I think, a season where, you know, this was a team in a position to bring somebody else in, especially, like I said, when the team's playing well, there's obviously a chemistry that's there. I think Bill Guerin was very cautious not to, to, to shake that up. 
And we've seen, you know, that doesn't always work out. Going and making that big acquisition isn't always, you know, the final piece of the puzzle. So um, the team stays as is. Um, I still think, you know, with a month to go, there's still plenty to prove, plenty to figure out. Um, but it's going to be up to, you know, the team that's here now to answer those questions and see how it sets itself up for a playoff run. You get the sense that Bill Guerin wanted to, not necessarily, not that he wanted to make a trade this year, but he likes to make trades. He likes to kind of restructure the roster. So I thought, you know, what you said just now and reading some of his comments in your story the other day that, you know, the time will come basically that they'll, they'll be in a position in a year or two years or whenever it is that they'll, they're, they'll feel like they're a, a contender or they're in a different spot financially or with their roster to go and make one of those bigger moves. But this just isn't that year right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good observation because Garen hasn't been shy about shaking things up. So, you know, for him to sit idle at a deadline, that's unique, obviously, for his track record. But I, I think it shows smart patience in just realizing, you know, the big picture and the plan. And, you know, this might be a season where you could get influence to kind of, you know, maybe steer in a different direction. It's a unique season. It's shorter. You know, the format for the playoffs is division based. So it's like you get out of your division and you're in the final four. Um, so this, you know, I think it could be enticing to like want to go all in on such a unique season. But having said that, I think, too, there's recognition that this is just one season. There's, you know, many more to come after this. And I think this is an organization that isn't just trying to find that one hit wonder. I think it is trying to be sustainable. I think that's been Garen's message. And I think his, you know, his decision-making so far has reinforced that, especially at this deadline by not just trying to shake it up to shake it up and maybe add that little something extra. It's, you know, keeping in mind the long game. And that's certainly what he did at the deadline. Do you think they've exceeded their own expectations at this point? I don't, I don't know if they would necessarily admit that because every team probably goes into the year thinking, if this goes well, this goes well, we, we can be a pretty good team. But, you know, to be sitting where they are and to be, you know, to go to the deadline as an opportunity to be a buyer, perhaps, even if it wasn't the time to do it. Do you think that's that's beyond what they thought this year might be? I'm not sure if they, you know, obviously publicly share, but I'm not sure if they would think that way. But I think peripherally, like from the outside perspective, I think that totally is fair because I think this very much could have been kind of like the growing pains type season like this, you know, to, to trade away a big core of the roster, have, you know, some players come in that you're not sure how they're going to fit uh, you know, a new Nick Bugstad's coming off a major injury, you know, Marcus Johansson hadn't played in so long um, being with Buffalo. And, you know, that was a team that didn't make the playoffs last season when the season did resume um, after getting stopped. So there were, there were so many question marks and so many factors that I think it just was like, I think it was very tough to kind of predict what this team could do, but then, you know, to see what happened, Cam Talbot was a seamless acquisition in net Capo Kakinen turns into, you know, a solid running mate to him. Kirill Kaprizov takes the league by storm. You're not sure how a rookie's going to settle in. And just everyone kind of fell into place. And so um, I think from, you know, the outside, you know, maybe Minnesota wasn't, you know, pegged to be as competitive as it is, but it is. And that's the reality right now. And I think that just sets itself up even better to try to bridge this, you know, build this bridge to the future of where it wants to be and how, you know, successful and sustainable, you know, it wants to be in its success and the way it needs to win and the way it needs to play. Um, so I 
think this is, you know, regardless, a step in the right direction. And the fact that, you know, we're debating about not making a move at a deadline to add and invest in this group as is probably speaks to that progress. There was supposed to be a game Monday along with the Twins and the Timberwolves. The Wild postponed that game with the Blues, uh, rescheduled for May 12th, I believe, um, you know, in the wake of the police shooting of Dante Wright in Brooklyn Center. I want to play a clip right now. Jared Spurgeon talked about it on Tuesday, echoing a lot of what we've heard from other players in this market that it felt like the right thing to do. So let's hear from Jared Spurgeon here. I think as a group, a team, and an organization, um, we thought it was the right thing to do. And um, obviously, the community and the city is going through some tough times. And uh, we, as a group, like I said, we all agreed upon that. And um, our, our wishes are with Dante and his family. As a result of some of that reshuffling, the the, the Wednesday game now is a 1 o'clock game against Arizona kind of getting close to a full fuller lineup um, back on the ice now with um, Marcus Felino looking like he's set to return. He would have played Monday, Kevin Fiala um, coming back. It sounds like as well, what, uh, you know, as we see those two on the ice, you know, Felino in particular being out for so long and you've, you've talked about in the last podcast that you did on this show, how, what an impact he's had. And you know, I've seen some advanced stats just showing, you know, like, expected goals, you know, rising and falling with Marcus Foligno in and out of the lineup. It's a pretty straight line. What is he, you know, what bringing him back now, you know, having Fiala out there, what, what do you think that sets them up for in the, in, you know, the last 16 games here of the regular season? Yeah, I think Felino's arrival back into the lineup is going to be huge for this team. It, the wild just looked a little off at times without him. And, you know, the results were, you know, they still won. I, I think they went eight, five and three, um, you know, in the 15 games that, that he missed, um, eight, eight, five and two. So, you know, they were still finding ways to win, but it just didn't feel like the same way they were winning before when he was in the lineup. I, I think he has become, um, an integral part of what they do, um, in a number of ways. I, I, obviously he brings energy and I think he just brings that, that jump to the game, um, and, and it's not always noticeable. I, I just think his presence, you know, finishing checks or going to the net, I, I think that's really key for a team in, in the sense, too, that I think it provides a lot of balance and definition. I think it, it makes everybody's roles clear um, kind of when he's on his game and he's doing his job. Um, you know, I think we're going to see probably it looks like the return of his line with Joel Erickson Eck and Jordan Greenway. And that was obviously one of the best lines of the season. It was early in the season. Um, so if that's, if that group can kind of recapture the rhythm they were on, um, maybe get Greenway back more involved than he has been lately. Um, Erickson Eck obviously has been pretty consistent, but that could be a pretty powerful line for the wild. Um, and then, and then, you know, you, you kind of see everybody else. It feels like falls into place. Then you kind of maybe get the Rask, Kaprizov, Matsu Karela line going again. Kevin Fiala um, looked to have some chemistry with Ryan Hartman and Marcus Johansson before he got hurt. So I think it just kind of makes everybody's jobs kind of clear um, when he's back in the lineup. And he's been producing. You know, he plays on the penalty kill. Felino um, was having, you know, I guess a real kind of run before he got hurt when he broke his ankle, um, contributing offensively, scoring goals, getting points. And he's a leader. 
Um, I think that that's important too, especially this last month. Like you said, these last 16 games, I think this is a team that really needs to stabilize and stick with an identity. Um, you know, last week, they were all over the map. You know, they go from one blowout win to a blowout loss. And, you know, as, as it's a cliche in hockey, but as players say, you, you want to avoid the highs and lows. Like They really do. Like, they really need to, I think, iron out their game. If they're going to make this playoff push, really find their game, rediscover what was working early in the season. And I think getting Felino back in the lineup to provide that leadership, that experience, I think he's a player who elicits a lot of accountability by the way that he plays the game. Um, I think that's going to be an important piece to add to this puzzle to really figure out, okay, who is this wild team? Like what, what are they capable of being consistently? Yeah, that's a good point. The, the, the all over the map it was the eight, three win over Colorado. Then the nine, one loss to St. Louis. It's like, what, you know, and those two, those two games again, revealed a couple of things that again, could, could take them in either direction. Uh, I want to mention the first one quick, and I've covered this a little bit on, on last week's show after they had that game, but the four power play goals against Colorado, do they feel like they've found the formula or is this just a matter of, you know, some bad luck or whatever early in the year when they were in that like five for 74 start to the year? Like what, what's different to you as you watch it? Is it just, is it production? Is it simplifying? What, what do they think it is or what do you think it is that's been better on the power play? I think they have turned a corner and I think they probably just needed the tangible results to kind of, you know, get it going because really when you did look back in the beginning of the season, I think most times, you know, there was maybe some miscues here and there, but like the structure was there, like gaining the zone wasn't an issue. Setting up wasn't a problem. Um, you know, they were getting off shots. It just was execution. And I think a lot of that then, you know, stems from confidence feeling like you're making the right decisions, feeling like you're in the right place to make a pass or time to get the puck on net. And so I think by, you know, just having some pucks go in, I think it's probably reinforced all the tactics and strategy that they, you know, seem to have in place all along, but just weren't getting the results to back it up. And so now it does seem like, you know, they are, like I said, getting the zones, getting set up, but then getting pucks on net and kind of getting that simple straight line approach. Um, but getting rewarded for it. And it's going to be key. You know, the power play wasn't hurting them early in the season. They were finding ways to score at five on five and it kind of glossed over, you know, that issue, but it's not going to get glossed over in the playoffs. If it's still an issue, special teams tend to decide series. Um, And so I think getting momentum now could be huge, but it's not going to matter much if you don't do it in the playoffs, since that is such a huge decider in these, you know, seven game series. The other side of that equation was that 9-1 loss. Capo Kakinen, who we've lauded um, multiple times on on this podcast, um, you know, keeping them in it when Cam Talbot was out for a while, having that run of, what was it, eight wins in a row, something like that. I can't remember exactly what the number nine. was. Nine? Nine wins in a row. I'm, I'm shortchanging poor Capo uh, one win. Nine wins in a row. Been a struggle lately. He took, he let, he had all nine in that, uh, in that, in that one against uh, St. Louis. I'm sure that's a hard one for a goalie to wear. That one, you know, you don't necessarily need two goalies once you get to the playoffs, as long as the one that you really want is healthy. But as we've talked about before, there's such a compression to this season that it feels like getting him going at least to feel confident when you don't, when you don't want to play Cam Talbot every single game, 
down the stretch. So you're not burning him out is kind of a big deal for this team. And especially with how well he was going compared to what he's shown in these last few games. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that the, this next game, whenever it is that Capo Kakinen gets, is going to be huge for him to just kind of, you know, close, close the book, close the chapter on that, like move forward. Um, you know, and, and it may come soon. You know, this is a team that has scheduled now as a back-to-back this weekend against San Jose. So perhaps that's it. You know, they go on the road then next week to another back-to-back. So I think the opportunity will be there to get him back in. And, and you know what, I, I think, you know, what we've, um, kind of attributed to his success this season, his evenness. Um, he just kind of seems very calm and composed. Um, I think that's probably what will help him rebound from this. I, I, I think, you know, it sounds like, you know, his reaction very much was like, okay, it's one game. Um, you know, it's, it's one game and it, and it was a game that, you know, in the wild acknowledged it, it was, it was a game that was reflected poorly on everybody. Um, you know, a nine, one score, isn't just the goalie. Um, so I, I think he kind of has the demeanor and the tools, um, to just kind of flush it and move on. And I don't think, you know, it's one game. I, I, I just think that's so true. I don't think this is indicative at all of his season. I think this season will still very much be remembered as him seizing this opportunity um, proving himself as you know a legit candidate for the future of this team's crease and I, I think you know really where the wild is at in the standings is in large part to the way he played um, like you said when Talbot was unavailable and he was almost unbeatable you know every every start that he had um, those points are why you know the wild is where it is right now and it has a very comfortable cushion in the standings um, and is in a playoff position. So I think that will kind of be the legacy. Um, but it is important for him to get that next game, move on, and and just, you know, show what he really, you know, is capable of. It just shows you what a momentum game this can be, too. Like when you get on a roll and then all of a sudden things go poorly. Like, is that the same guy? Like, how do you – it's hard to even explain, like, you know, how, how someone can be on such a hot streak and then all of a sudden nine goals go in. But, yeah, probably not – you know, like the players always say, you, you never, you know, you never, never get too high, never get too low. And if that's his demeanor, that will serve him well, as you say. Sarah McClellan, really good stuff. Appreciate you joining Daily Delivery again. And I'm sure we will be talking plenty as the season winds down and the playoffs start up. Sounds good. Take care. I always enjoy talking to Sarah. Um, she does a really good job covering the wild for Star Tribune. And, you know, I think the thing that strikes me most about this trade deadline is even if you're a little bit disappointed that there wasn't something to kind of jolt this team a little bit, the two points are kind of overriding right now. One is that the Wild, like Sarah said, does kind of seem pretty well ensconced in that playoff position. They're seven points behind Vegas right now, seven points ahead of St. Louis. They still have to play St. Louis a whole bunch. I get that. But even if they just kind of tread water, even to go a little bit below water against St. Louis, they should be in that number three range uh, for this season. And so, you know, they're probably going to make the playoffs, but, they, you know, maybe this isn't their year, which is kind of what Bill Guerin's saying. Like, there will be time in the future to go to go bigger on this roster. The second point is they've gotten in trouble in previous years under previous regimes. You know, Chuck Fletcher traded away a lot of draft picks to, you know, try to make a push certain seasons, and it never got them past the second round of the playoffs and seldom got them past the first round of the playoffs. So you've got to know when it makes sense to go all in and when it makes sense to just kind of stay stay where you are, use your draft picks to get better, and then hopefully 
that kind of combination of improvement from within and then even more assets and you know building through the draft gets you to the point where the moves you do make have certain consequences. So I think it's probably the right move, even if you know non-intellectually, even if like the, at the gut level you want the Wild to just be like, yeah, let's make a trade and, and do something big um, to to shake up a roster that you know has gotten a little bit um, you know not stale, but has needed has had some holes emerge as the season goes on. Let's get to some of your questions and hot takes now. Matt Wells, um, longtime blog reader, Fasola Matt, wants to know, Derek Jeter took over the Marlins and hired a woman as general manager. Will A-Rod match his rival by moving Cheryl Reeve down the hall to the Wolves? Love this question because I've kind of had in the back of my mind for the last couple of years that Cheryl Reeve, that would be a great move um, for, for the Wolves, for Cheryl She's proved so much in the WNBA um, with four championships, and now even more recently, wearing the the you know the GM title as well, uh, doing some great work in free agency and picking the past two WNBA rookies of the year with the number six and number sixteen picks. Like that is a serious amount of talent evaluation and acumen that that she has, and you know then she has you know she's taken talented players and then coached them to a full potential and beyond. So, yeah, I'd say that I, I would be all for that move. Any Anything that gets Cheryl Reeve to the Wolves gets, you know, the culture that she has instilled there, intelligence that she has, the compassion that she has in running a team. I like Gerson Rosas. I'm not saying she should have Gerson Rosas' job. I would just love to see Cheryl Reeve involved in some major capacity um, with the Wolves if that's something she was interested in because I think she would do a great job. Russell Richardson wants to know the Glenn Taylor they can't move the team clause factor fiction is it enforceable? That's a great question. I, we're going to find out how enforceable it is. Um, our Chris Hine wrote a story about that last summer when the team went up for sale. Doesn't seem like it's extremely enforceable, but I think Glenn Taylor. You know, if you kind of read between the lines, he had a radio appearance the other day where you've, you're going to have this clause, and you're also going to have kind of the NBA side of things where the NBA doesn't want to move this team to Seattle or you know another location that they're they're more interested in uh, expansion fees than they are relocation so I, I think the worry over this part of the contract being enforceable is valid um, and you know you do worry when you're relying more on what probably amounts more to a handshake agreement or an understanding that the league wants a certain thing and not another thing because that can always change. But I think if you put the two together, if you put you know a contract clause in there that says this has to happen a certain way and you have an understanding with the NBA, you can feel a little bit more settled that the Wolves, you know, at least in the near to midterm, aren't going to be going anywhere. But again, everything's subject to change. We will see uh, when 2023 rolls around and A-Rod and Mark Laurie take over you know full ownership and control of this team john marthaler wants to know would you get rid of the ncaa if you could no wishy-washy reform-based answers your choice are status quo or burning it all down if those are my two choices burn it all down i mean what what good i say what good is it serving that's maybe a little too far because i'm sure there are some things that the ncaa does well they're just not springing to mind right now maybe they put on good tournaments i don't know um the structure of it is completely awful the money inequity imbalance is completely awful um you know i wouldn't even stop there i would if i had a if if you would tell me the same question with all of professional sports and just how out of whack everything's gotten financially i would say start over with everything 
Um, maybe if we're even going beyond sports and how you know how our governance and how our society is structured, um, I wouldn't mind starting all of that over as well and seeing if there's a different way to do it. But if we're focusing right now on the NCA, absolutely start it all over and try something different. Andrew wants to know, let's talk ratings. How are these early Twins games doing with the limited non-cable availability? Will Final Four and, with Final Four and Masters ratings down, has the non-NFL sports TV bubble burst? That's a good question. I don't think we're going to know right now. I haven't seen any ratings yet for the Twins. And honestly, the early part of this season has been dominated by day games. I don't think we're going to be able to make a completely fair comparison until we have more night games, some of those primetime events that more people are going to watch. But I don't think there's any doubt that it's going to show up in the numbers. Uh, you know, this is the first year that they're playing without, you know, YouTube and Hulu having uh, having uh, the regional sports networks at the very least. So I will be very interested to see the initial numbers when they come out and compare them to, you know, 2019 in particular, the last, you know, full normal season um, and see where they are compared to that year because I don't think it's going to be a pretty picture. Let's end with the cooler. I promised I was going to play this clip from Anthony Edwards. This is a question from John Krasinski from The Athletic. Love Johnny. Just trying to get a simple quote about the ownership group. And here is Anthony Edwards answering a question about Alex Rodriguez. Do you have any thoughts about him? Are you an A-Rod fan at all growing up or anything like that? What do you think about what he might bring to the team? A fan? Who is he? The baseball player? Alex Rodriguez? Yeah, no, nah, I, I don't know who that is. Okay. I know he's going to be the owner, but I don't, I don't, I don't know about baseball. Paid for a great soundbite shared by Dane Moore, covers the Wolves, was on this podcast last week. You know, I don't want to draw any huge big picture conclusions from it other than it amused me, but I also probably think it's not a great sign for baseball that a 19-year-old in sports didn't know who one of the most famous baseball players of the last 25 years is. That'll do it for this show. Thanks for joining me today. Plenty of good stuff coming out Thursday and Friday. Download this podcast, subscribe to Start to Be and StartToBean.com, and we'll catch you again on Thursday.